Hey, Rockheads. It's that time of year again to come up with a good excuse to join me and Richard at NDC London. Fortunately, all you have to do is tell your boss the truth. You want to learn about the latest technology and hobnob with the likes of Scott Hanselman, Lily Dart, Eric Meyer, Scott Allen, John Skeet, Jesse Sternschuss, Troy Hunt, Damian Edwards, and many more. NDC London 2016 is a full-week event with pre-conference workshops on January 11th and 12th and the actual conference on January 13th through the 15th. you got just a few more days to save up to 300 pounds if you register by November 1st. So go to ndc-london.com right now, and we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1213, with guest Jason Zander. Recorded Thursday, October 29th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we are in some room somewhere in the MGM Grand Hotel. This is the producer's boardroom. Yeah, and and it is all set up. Seth uh, Juarez has got his Channel 9 stuff here. Big soft boxes and cameras and Fancy stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like being home for me. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's like a lot like your studio. <laughs> nice lights, too. Yeah. Nice stuff, Seth. Yeah. So, uh, conference is going well. Last day, main body. Been having a good time. This is the biggest dev intersection ever. Yep. That's their biggest. Congratulations. Yeah. Not quite 2,000 people, but we got close. You got a new run-as radio website? Yeah, the new run-as site is almost up. I guess it'll be up by the time this show publishes. Right. You've but, heard uh, that before. Yeah, I've been fighting with it for the past <laughs> few weeks, but it's looking good. It's got a little metro feel, a little cool. You've feel. got a run-as radio I got shirt. I shirts now. You're wearing the Dot Rock shirt, I'm wearing the run-as shirt. And the shirt. booth is, you know, we're here passing out um, these little diskette magnets. Yes, and people love the Dot Rocks potholders. Gone. Yeah. Everyone We made gone. some potholders, and, and this was my crazy idea, because I remember growing up, there was a guy running for... I don't know, state senate or something like that. I was a kid. I didn't know. But uh, his name was Sam Gageson. And we had Sam potholders in my house on the fridge. <laughs> and I saw them every day. And, you know, my parents cooked with them every day. Yeah. And I just thought, that's brilliant. I don't know anything about this guy. I'm a kid. But still, I know that name. And I still remember it today. Too funny. So. Well. My, my girls were running the booth, and they said the potholders seemed like the dumbest idea ever, and everybody loved them. Yeah. So. You know, nobody else got a dime <laughs> rocks potholder. That's it. That's all, all right. right. Well, anyway, let's roll the music, because I got something interesting and relevant for Ooh. today's show on Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? So, uh, we're going to be talking about IoT today with Jason, I'm sure. And um, the one thing that I've learned... Uh, in the IoT space is... You've been working. Don't use a relational database. So the reason is... Period. Yeah. Just there's say just that too much absolute. data, and it's too small, and the records are small, but there's so many of them. And especially if you have devices all over the world, you know, chirping and mm -hmm. sending up data, um, when you want to look at some small section of the world... You know, and find out what's going on right there at a particular site. Yep. You're now wading through millions and millions and millions of rows, billions, trillions of rows of sure. data that don't matter to you. So, um, one of the uh, a, a great guy, Steve Ramsey at Microsoft in uh, Boston, hooked me up with this uh, partner who uh, is in Portland, Maine. And they're introspectivesystems.com, and they have this graph database approach hmm. to uh, IoT. 
And we talked about graph databases sure. on the show. A little bit different than the actor model, but you know the same ideas where you have these nodes that are sort of uh, intelligent, and all of the smarts is pushed out to the edge of the network. Interesting. And so, you know, like like the internet is basically a big graph database. Sure. You, know, you just have connections and nodes and trees and all of these things. And when you want to work on something, you can pinpoint your your queries to the exact location where you want to, you know, the data that you want to include rather than wading through bazillions and bazillions of rows of relational data. So it made a lot of sense to me. And I haven't I haven't used this, but I have been talking to some of the people there, and they seem like extremely, extremely smart people. Like they figured out what not to do right. and what works. So I'm really interested in hearing more about uh, Azure IoT as Jason is here. And um, let's, uh, yeah. All right, the XGraph framework. Show. I'll include a link for the show notes. Yeah, good it one. looks good. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll probably be working with them, so I'll let you know firsthand how that all works out. Awesome. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grab to comment off of show 1137, the one we did with Sam Van Hout when we talked about Azure and BizTalk and workflows and all that good stuff. Uh, and this is a bit of a digression comment from uh, from Vic Camacho where he said, uh, Hi, Carl and Richard, long-time listener to Don and Rocks and Run As Radio. All right. Uh, and they're both great shows, so keep up the good work. And I know you guys were talking about this, but I don't think you clarified. He's actually calling us out on acronyms. IOPS. Oh, okay. Being... Uh, it being input output operations per second. All right. And one of the main measurements when you're buying cloud, you buy it by the amount of IOPS or throughput essentially of the, a given server can handle. So it's an important uh, benchmark for understanding what the cloud is. He says, I'm just clarifying this and maybe I'll win myself a mug, <laughs> which of course he is correct on. Yes. Uh, also, he has an idea for a show. I was recently exposed to some games on my phone and tablet, which I'd never played with before. The last game I played was Adventure on my Zenith computer. Oh, the original That's Infocom right. you Adventure. Were in, you're in it before it was Infocom. Even, right, which is right. Called the you know Colossal Cave. Classic adventure. You are in a maze of twisty little passages, all alike. That's right. Uh, it, I think it would be interesting to hear about the software challenges and infrastructure challenges of a game that is multiplayer and worldwide. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm thinking, you know, Project Orleans, the show we right. did there, talking about running Halo. Uh, it is not necessarily .NET, but a different kind of programming challenge entirely. It can be .NET. Yeah. Yeah. We certainly had those conversations. And another AppVNext customer is looking to use Orleans for IoT. Right. So it's all interesting. It's Very all related. Interesting. And he finishes off with saying, Let Richard, lastly, please stop saying that exchange is scary. I think you are smarter than me. And if it's scary to you, then I should be terrified. You should be you terrified. You should be terrified. That is correct. <laughs> Running a mail server is not for the faint of heart. You go to the cloud, save yourself some grief. <laughs> I have to support an on premise exchange that at some clients, and it's enough. It, 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 I have enough things keeping me up at night. Right. Like, I feel for you, man. Hey, and, you know, it's around Halloween. It's about time to call out exchange is the scary demon that the scary, is. scary demon and he finishes up by saying i meant to put this comment on run as radio but you don't have a comment section oh, but guess what the guess new website's what? got so we will have a comment section there yeah. hey vic thanks so much for your comment a dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug write a comment on the website at donetrocks.com and that brings us to our guest, Jason Zander. He is the corporate vice president of Microsoft Azure. He basically runs the engineering team there. Also, one of the original developers of the CLR. It's, what can I say? We're, we're, we got goosebumps, man. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show again. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. 
yeah, it was last time was 2012, entirely too long ago, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah different job at that point too. It's been well, a while. Yeah, mm. and building bites. I mean, that's 14, 15 years ago. You were yeah putting your name on the CLR. Yeah, no, we were actually doing a bunch of the original prototyping back in '96. Actually, oh, when it was still the it was, Com. you know, Com Plus was right. some of the prototyping stuff that we had done back then in 96. And, you know, the team kind of got bigger. And then we started, uh, we started off with some of the metadata, the compiler and file formats. That's, those were the components that I was working on and kind of expanded. And then, you know, a whole bunch of, uh, new people, you know, got on board. Do we know. still call it the CLR now? It's just the cloud language runtime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, back, back then, were you already thinking managed memory? Like, was that the whole thinking space or was this before that had really taken a hold? Oh, no. I mean, we had some really epic debates at the yeah. start of this because uh you know the the garbage collector was a component that that, that we had had uh there was other folks actually because if you if you remember at the time we also had the the you know com mm-hmm. as well uh that was a ref counted you know sort of system mm-hmm. so we, we were visual based developers yeah, you, see, yeah. Yeah. So you know all this stuff so so yeah. we had these really just epic epic debates right yeah. there was there was a there was a crew that basically felt like has to be ref counted memory period you'll never get it fast That's enough it otherwise yeah. screw it up chris sells was one of those guys he wasn't working there at the time but he mm. was one of those outsiders yelling about you know yes you'll never get generational collection actually working you know blah blah so we had just some knockdown drag out fights over that uh that marshalling you know just a bunch of these kind of fundamental things and of course you know oh heck even uh character codes uh utf8 Mm. and etc because we had 16 bit sure all that kind of stuff so and then all the com callable wrappers and all that stuff yes that's that was a nightmare no it was yeah i mean forget how much pain we were in yeah you yeah. know, that's what's happened. Yep. We complain about some of that. We complain today about some of the decisions you guys made 20 years ago. Yeah. It's like, because we, we've forgotten the pain we were in at the time. Yep. That's right. And plus, of course, 20 years later, we see things differently and the hardware is different. Mm-hmm. Like the rules are different. Yeah. That's right. I mean, the nice thing about CompSci keeps going that way. But yeah. I remember like PDC 2000, we've been working on this stuff. Like I said, since 96, it'd been three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we finally were able to do the demos. Uh, and I remember the first time we showed a call stack that had multiple languages in it right. uh, with mm-hmm. the symbols and the source code and everything else. And the whole audience was just like clapping, like, oh my yeah. God, that's amazing. That's we were incredible. sitting there like, what are they clapping for? It's like, oh yeah, that's right. They haven't seen that before. No, <laughs> yeah, you've been doing it for three years. Everybody else, it's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, let's talk about your keynote here. What, what, did, what did you talk about when you came out? Yeah, so uh, it basically uh, covered a whole bunch around uh, around Azure today, and in particular, uh, several things around the infrastructure. Uh, we have the new portal that's, uh, that is under preview and coming along really good. It looks um, great. It, it is really uh, coming along very well. They're taking a lot of usability feedback. I think every week it gets uh, uh, you know that much better. Um, and I think uh, for me, I feel much more productive in it uh, at this point. The thing I like to ask people when we talk about the portal is, um, how, I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff you can do with the new portal. You can't do the, with the old one, but what about in the other direction? Like what, what am I going to have to go back to the old portal still to, to be able to do? Most of the things you'll have to go back to the old portal are just point in time. Okay. Um, and so it, the, you know, when you make these sort of cutovers, obviously you have this kind of issue where I need to get everything up and running on the new one. How do you ever hit critical mass? Uh, the teams never slow down. So there's new features coming out, but we've already made the switch that new things only go into the, the new portal. Mm. Uh, and so what that means is we're just going through and adding the rest of the resource providers and those components. Uh, Express route was just added in September. And, you know, so I think what you'll see, uh, uh, Azure Stream Analytics just made it in. 
last mm. week too. So mm. I think you'll very quickly start to see everything fold into the new portal. Once it hits general availability, uh, then you, you should get to a point pretty quickly after that, that you don't need the old portal. I mean, we'll That's, keep supporting it just you know, for a while. There's no so reason to take the old you know, portal away, but no. eventually nobody's going to use it. No, yeah. that's right. I, I think the, the go forward, you'll use the new portal, use Azure Resource Manager and resource yeah. groups to kind of manage all your content. That's something else I talked about in the keynote yeah, today as great. well. So I think that that's kind of the go forward plan. So if you're listening, the takeaway is use the new portal. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned this in your keynote as well. It's just this, I mean, you guys are shipping so much software. It's crazy. Yeah. I think it's overwhelming. It, it is actually. I mean, like, uh, the, the quote, you know, the number we had today is we did like 500 features in the last 12 months. Uh, we did 300 the 12 months before that. Um, so that's after I left Visual Studio and .NET, that was a big point of concentration was to really go after the engineering systems, increase agility. Uh, you're running a live system and we have exponential growth, right? right. So, so the challenge is go build out all the new functionality, uh, start doing exponentially more than what you've done before and any new 10x you know really requires a whole bunch of architecture changes and that kind of stuff and if you don't have the right engineering system pumping that stuff through you're just not going to make it so that i think is a, a valuable investment no matter what uh there's a separate thing what you're bringing up is like hey the overwhelming part uh, you know the cool thing is you got a lot of new toys to play with that's right. a lot that's of right. cool stuff yeah. um but what we also are trying to do is provide uh, a little bit more of a, of a of a structured way of thinking about that content uh, so for example course Tana Analytics mm -hmm. uh, is a way to think about data and analytics and manipulation of data, and it's made up of a number of building blocks. Uh, Azure IoT Suite, another great one, and I, I talked about that in the keynote today too. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an example where I can go in and build every single Lego block out if I want. You can certainly go do that, but if we up-level it into solutions, it's a little bit easier to understand, and you can kind of pick the parts that make the most sense to you. What do you think about this idea of... Uh you know, sort of a, a graph database or actor model kind of um, pushing the smarts out to the edge of the network rather than having centralized dumps. And, you know, we talked about data lakes a lot before. Yeah. We thought that was going to be a good idea for IoT, but I, I can't see that being as effective as sort of this, uh, you know, ultimately scalable, infinitely scalable right. uh, graph idea. But I mean, if you think about IoT, there's kind of two dimensions in this that are interesting. One, I don't think I need a device, you know, once a second telling me I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm right. okay. Like, so that, that's a standard kind of folding, you know, sort yeah. of algorithm with, you know, time windows and those sort of things. So, and that, um, usually we, we've got support for field gateways. So I can deploy those more locally. The field gateways can do some smarts at the edge already. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, that could be even your phone, but usually mm -hmm. there's some kind of device or on a factory floor, you know, there's kind of a piece of software and hardware there. Um, so those will actually help with the filtering of the data. So I just get, you know, more interesting time and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. The other portion that kicks in, you know, is kind of what you're talking about. Think about a smart building. Uh, I can have thermostats, you know, around a particular floor that we're all working in. I can have lighting controls that light up when people walk by. Mm -hmm. But now I start getting into the interesting things about how do I combine these things together? Mm -hmm. Like what zone are you in? What controls are within that zone? And what are those components? And how do I program against that? Mm -hmm. And that's where I think having some of the kind of more advanced logic that isn't just a, here's a stream and it's too high, too low, uh, but it's, I actually need to start coordinating this stuff. Uh, what we've done with Service Fabric, uh, we actually have an actor framework that's built into Service Fabric for exactly this reason. Uh, we have uh, customers like uh, OSIsoft. Um, they've been specializing in this space for a long time. They've done yeah. tons of embedded. Um, they actually have replatted on top of Azure IoT Suite uh, because we're helping them get, you know, the scale and their devs can work on the really hard problems for their business. You know, that's a great one. Yeah. And Service Fabric is something they're using and it's, it's 
it's working great for them. Um, now I can use the actor framework. I can actually get the right distribution. And then we have the engine that can help you, you know, get the scale and add this kind of logic. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. We did a show on the, fra- on, on the fabric a while back. We did. And I, I think the biggest thing for me was just the, this is how you guys are building your soft, your software as a service offerings. Right. Correct. On fabric. That's right. Yeah, Service mm-hmm. Fabric is basically the same technology. And we've been building this for about 10 years now. It's actually pretty mature technology from that perspective. Um, the Azure database, uh, we have 1.5 million Azure databases uh, running. This database is the service. Uh, the truth is that's actually three times 1.5 million because we keep a primary and two mm-hmm. secondaries mm-hmm. for availability. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how do you manage the primaries and the secondaries and keep all the stuff working at that scale? Uh, service Fabric was created in order to solve those sorts of problems. Now, it's also under uh, Cortana, you know, for voice assistance, uh, Skype for business is using it on the back end. Uh, and then our stuff, if you look at the new portal and the Azure Resource Manager and the resource providers, um, basically is also running on top of Service Fabric. Because what we needed, um, I, you know, again, with the 10x growth, I needed the next generation architecture mm-hmm. to be able to keep everything up and running. And, and think about this. I'm trying to keep track of, you know, millions of virtual machines. Where are they living? Which nodes are they on? If something fails, where does it need to go to heal? Mm-hmm. You know, those sort of things. How do you track all that metadata in the system where you are in turn supporting databases and everything else? And so service fabric is that underlying plumbing and it's basically state of the art. I mean, there's really nothing in open source and at least nothing I've seen any other vendor release or talk about yet uh, that actually solves all the level of problems that it does. Mm. When I think of the word fabric, you know, you guys have used that going back to the original, you know, Azure fabric. It's the new visual. It's the new, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We we tend to pick up on names and Yeah. yeah. But I guess I tend to think of, you know, sort of high level control of, you know, many systems at the same time and one affects the mm-hmm. other and being able to scale and being able to bring in resources and let go of resources very fluidly. Is that sort of the yes. idea of fabric? Yeah, I think and that's a great way to think about it because it basically does orchestration for you, right? So uh, let's, you know, take some of these other examples. Uh, we, you know, for like uh, software load balancing, the control nodes for those, we'll run seven of those. Mm. Uh, and that way we have a uh, good quorum, you know, so we can actually make sure we maintain good state. Mm-hmm. And if you do have hardware failures and those sort of things, then they fall down, not a big deal. And what Service Fabric is doing for us is it's helping maintain that quorum and the health. Yeah. Um, that is the part you're saying for the orchestration, the mm-hmm. dynamic up and down. So of thing for scheduling. But mm-hmm. there's another thing that it actually gives us, and that's basically stateful migration. And mm-hmm. this is the hard one. Um, because if you think about it, uh, in fact, there was a great demo that uh, Mark Rasinovich and Corey Sanders did mm-hmm. at, I think, uh, Igniter Build, one of those. Uh, we actually made an Asteroids game, right? And they both came up to play either, either side. So one's got blue ships, one's got green ships. And so while you're playing and the scores are up and running, you're kind of like, you know, oh, how many shots have I got off and that kind of stuff. We actually deployed an update live. Right. And what it did is mm-hmm. change like the, the, like I think it was the red changed to orange or something like that. And it actually changed the rules so that Mark could win. You know what I mean? Mark, Mark's <laughs> got to win. C- CTO's got to win. But you know, think about that from a comp side perspective. There's running state. There's active state going. There's sure. active users up and running on it. And service fabric literally would take the new build, deploy it out, get to quorum be able to figure out how to migrate the state over so it's ready, drain the old queue, move to the new queue, and then turn it on. And if any failures happen, automatically roll back, all while you're playing the game. Wow. And you Mm. just never stop. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Stackify. If your app runs on Azure, or if you're considering launching an Azure soon, Stackify is the only integrated APM and error log management platform that was designed with Azure in mind. 
Stackify's Azure expertise can identify problems before you launch and help you know the difference between apps problems and Azure problems so you can fix issues fast. Try Stackify now for free and get the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks. This is stuff I used to do, I've, I've done for 20 years, enrolling live e-commerce website updates. But it was rocket science. Like, yes, people paid me a lot of money to make that work. You're telling hard. me it's a push button thing now? Like how much work do I have to do? Yeah, the I mean, and and this is uh, some of the stuff that we've put on top of it. So there's like the infrastructure and engine components, which that's where the rocket science is. Mm-hmm. What we've also done then is, and you can program against it against it directly. That's what the database you know team is doing. That's what you know Cortana is doing, etc. But if you go higher up, we've added a, you know, a couple of programming you know frameworks to target. One is the actor framework that you mm-hmm. mentioned from like the graph portion, yeah. but the other one is what we call reliable collections. And so my my goal and what I asked the team to do is like, look, I want somebody who knows C sharp, they know generic. Eric's right, they know Visual Studio, they should be able to just walk right in and start writing code that can be highly available and right. leverage all my skills. And so So the collection's still a collection. It's still a collection. Well, this is a highly reliable collection. It has mm. this hook into the cloud that can allow it to migrate when a system gets up there. So does exactly. that mean you can write your your stuff that uses this fabric as if it was just running on a single machine? Like yes, you can. You just don't even worry about? Yeah. And you'll see only small changes in here. I mean, for one thing, you're pulling the namespace, but mm-hmm. let, let's say I do a reliable dictionary. I have a key value pair on it. Really straightforward. I just go create one just like you would in normal, you know, generics. You've been doing this for, I don't know, 10 years. I think we added generics in, mm-hmm. right? But the, the, then when I go in and do the work, all I have to do is basically, you know, create a new transaction, just like a database. I want to put a new transaction, curly brace, go make my updates to the reliable collection, close curly brace. And it uses mm-hmm. the async pattern, you know, for a wait mm-hmm. and async. Mm-hmm. You're done. And then what's happening under the covers is the rocket science, right? Because when you make those changes, then the system itself is actually going through, taking the change, actually going off and replicating it to the other nodes, the other, you know, kind of containers where this data is running. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It keeps track of the primary. We actually have tools where we'll go in and take the primary and basically just, you know, shoot it. Just like, boom, do you, do go you away. Have any, <laughs> runs. Do you have any impressive numbers in terms of big systems that you've uh, run with, you know, bazillions of nodes or whatever? Oh, yeah. You can quote. Yeah, no, no. I mean, like, so I'll give you an example. We we have uh, some of our preview customers are currently running uh, systems in the hundreds of millions of records, right? So, and if you look at the R core system, it runs basically at that kind of scale as mm-hmm. well. Uh, from a node perspective, I think the database one is a great one, like one and a half million databases times three, right. you know, running all of our databases as a service across the fleet. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you know, that's, that's a, pretty big, yeah, and huge. And, you know, from a utilization perspective, it's amazing. Cause I mean, keep in mind in the background, it's doing placement constraints, it's doing healing and all these other sort of stuff. It's managing the underlying, how much RAM is left, how much disk, you know, those sort of things as part of placement. And it can crank it up to like 92% utilization and still wow. keep everything running through. That's freaking hard. And I don't want to let go of this collection conversation yeah. just says the, the hard part here is, okay, you're going from version two to version three. The version two collection looks like this. The version three collection looks like this. So is it just a piece of code I'm inserting that does a mapping? Does this is how you should migrate it? Yeah, for the, for the partitions that we have, it has automatic partitioning. It has automatic local store. Mm-hmm. It'll use SSD off of the local notes. I get very, I mean, you think of the cap theorem, right? I mean, right. How, how do I get consistency and availability, yeah. all the rest of those? Like, how do I get those things tuned even more? So mm-hmm. I don't have to just go down to, well, it's eventually consistent. Right? There's reasons to have that. Certainly mm-hmm. makes sense. But in this case, it's the local storage, it's the replication. It, you know, does all of the upgrades, et cetera. Yep. And when I'm using the collection, 
migration piece, then we can do the state migration and help you actually make that change. Because that's the hard part, yeah. right? I mean, the migrating the state. And you're only going to run it once for each you know, given collection. There's going to be a moment. I guess I want an event that says, okay, well, I'm moving you to V3 right now. Correct. You know, here's, the, here's your old, this is your old collection. Populate the new one. That's right. Populate, it keeps going. And we have serializers that are built in for it and that kind of stuff. And the, the events and stuff you're talking about mm -hmm. is part of the core API surface area. So if you want to be a full rocket scientist, you can get direct on top of those and program against the bare mm -hmm. metal. Yeah. But what we've tried to do with the frameworks is say, look, it's a little bit more easy to conceive of just, you know, POCO objects, right? And right. just CLR objects, I just want to make them go. And we're doing Java, and we're doing Linux and that kind of stuff too. But, you know, if I think about, you know, .NET, um, you know, then I get C Sharp, I got the objects, you know, I, I want to make sure that those, you know, components run that way. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and I remember doing, writing this code, I mean, going all the way back to original ASP and just that, that exact moment of, you know, I'm looking at the collection. I'm, I'm ready to run on a V3 version. My collection, my collection set, my session object is V2. Invoke this method. Yes. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Go mm -hmm. do a bunch of work. Yeah. And then the machine crashes. Yeah. <laughs> now what? No. Then we tank. Yeah. I lost a few carts in my day. Yes. Just a few. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really, really interested in how the, um, this IOT actor model thing works and, uh, you know, the persistence of data and where all that goes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to be clear, the actor model that we have for service fabric is general purpose. So you can general use it purpose. for anything you want. So, I mean, like right. you mentioned the halo kind of examples. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. we have people that are, uh, absolutely, we, I mean, some of the stuff we're having with the hundreds of millions of records and those sort of things, they're actually working in systems of record space, you know, banking, finance, healthcare, those sort of things, yeah. nothing to do with IOT. Right. Um, so it is general purpose functionality. Uh, I think in the context of IOT, then you get back into like, what data patterns do we need? Exactly. Right. And so here, you know, we have a very comprehensive solution. So, you know, the field gateways help you on the edge. I can yeah. pump data through. We're already processing trillions of messages through Event Hub, you know, which is kind of the core event broker. Uh, and then I get into the different paths. So the hot path, and this was something I actually demoed today with a, with a beagle board and some sensors mm -hmm. uh, on stage, is things like, you know, light sensors and temperature and those sort of things. Right. That's a constant stream coming through. Right. The hot path is, if it gets out of whack, I want an alert. I want to know mm -hmm. what's going on. The kind of warm path is I'm headed towards something that looks like a problem. Uh, I have a pipeline. It's filling up a tank. In three mm -hmm. hours, it's going to have a problem. Right. We actually have the same thing ourselves. Like I have a cluster of compute and it's getting warmer and warmer. I might want to redirect the next set over someplace else. And then the cold path is the, for the last two years, look at all the data. What are the trending? Pull right. in weather, pull in environment, run machine learning yeah, over top of it. Yeah, you have these very local queries that you need to do on a regular basis that maybe touch one or two, two ten, five, twenty, whatever nodes. And you have these aggregate functions that need to touch everything. Right? That's right. So, yeah, where where does that data go? I mean, I I tend to think from a relational database point of view and, you know, that's that's a disease that I have from yeah. my many many years of uh <laughs> <laughs> Richard's nodding too. Yep, we've but, all got it. It's what we learned. You know, so do these do these actors have their own persistence mechanisms? Do they, do we not even worry about that as a developer? Well, I mean, and this is for general purpose technology. This is one of those uh, things Richard and I were talking about. We give you so many options that, you know, picking, you know, what you can do with yeah. it is, is always a little bit of a challenge. Uh, it is a very powerful framework. The actor framework is really just about dispatch. It's about yep. granularity. It's about mm -hmm. that. You can do anything you want with it. Sure. Um, so if I was, you know, like take the halo case, if I wanted to do the tracking of, you know, look, if I shoot three bad guys in a row, I get a reward, right? right? 
I mean, what does that stream look like? Yeah. The actor model is designed so that I can have a more conceptual, better programming model yeah. and let the engine then start to figure out how to get granularity and how to track that. Mm. And so those things absolutely work. Uh, Service Fabric has its own state management. This is what the reliable collections yeah. and these things are built on top of. Again, you don't have to use it for right. that purpose. It's more general purpose. But I mean, at a certain point, a, a collection in memory is going to take up too much memory, isn't it? Or in yeah. the cloud, do we not worry about that? No, know. no, we do the scale out though. That's what partitions are for. Yeah. Think about it this way. Like you, you're, you're oftentimes in a lot of apps, you know, you're running something on the front end, you're pulling stuff into a cache like yeah. Redis or Memcache or take your pick, whatever, yep. you know, you, you want to run today. Uh, the real question is that I'm doing a fetch. I've got a particular set of data out there. What if a lot of that front end data itself could be distributed with the nodes and you could have pretty much infinite number of nodes. Mm. And that way, if one of them did actually die, the hard drive goes away, blah, blah, blah. Like, like when the problem we found with a lot of other systems is they're really horrible when that happens. Right. Right. And yep. then it's like, oh, everything falls over or sure. I lose data. It takes a while for things to become quiescent again. Mm. Uh, basically, I had, you know, some of my, my test guys take service fabric, line it up against the wall and just shoot, yeah. you know, shoot this is at the it. chaos monkey principle, right? It's like, oh, yeah. The, the only way you really know robustness is by keeping on kicking the can. That's right. <laughs> no, they, they just torture tested the thing. Mm -hmm. They just shot at it like you wouldn't believe and it came away 100% up. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the demos you did today, you, you wanted to show a broken VM yes. and you were worrying mm -hmm. It's going to fix it before I could show you it's broken. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. we had to jury rig the VM. I mean, the feature I was trying to show off was the uh, check health. Right. Yeah. Uh, so if there was something legitimately wrong, uh, this is something new we just released this week. Uh, it allows you to go in and actually check the VM and we'll do a bunch of testing against it. But in the act of that, it heals. So yeah. for the demo, it's like <laughs> we have this demon running in the background trying to go kill it, kill it, kill it, and, you know, put it in a bad state. So I get the red ribbon and then we can show you the demo, but it comes through and it gets fixed. And it's like, oh, shoot. You know, <laughs> All right, everybody wait for two minutes. It's going to go bad again. We'll try when... and break it again, I promise. We'll try and break it, I promise, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a good problem to have. It's yeah, this is yeah. so resilient, I can't even demo it breaking. Yes. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, for a guy who built a lot of that infrastructure to keep stuff alive, to actually build in resiliency, you know, you have to know enough to know how hard that is. You guys kind of take all of that away. Like, you know, I don't know that people appreciate what's going on under the hood. Yeah. You were just talking about hardware failures. And I'm thinking, when have I ever had a sense that hardware had failed in any of my cloud apps? Like, you just don't even know. Yeah. Our hope is you don't, right? I mean, and, and that stuff does happen. I mean, hard drives go bad. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, nodes will crash and that kind of stuff. Those issues occur. Uh, you know, the, this is basically with a public cloud. We use a lot of commodity soft, uh, hardware and then we put in really, really smart, you know, software to go mm -hmm. after it. So, and it's the software that's protecting you. You know, three copies on storage, the automatic healing for virtual machines yeah. if i've got you know availability sets then i don't even notice because i load balance to the other ones that are up and i bring yep. up new ones you know that yeah. kind of stuff a little off subject but i'm starting to really dislike the name public cloud because i think i have a i have a non small trivial number of customers typically in financial services stuff where it's like it's like i'm naked in public that's sort of the <laughs> implication of public cloud <laughs> oh yeah yeah as opposed to, yeah as opposed to like public utility yeah, you know, it, it almost has this weird connotation to it. Well, and it, and it also indicates that there's a private cloud. Yeah, now you get into your cloud, my cloud, yeah. his cloud, cloud, cloud. What the hell are we talking about? Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, Richard, yeah, buddy, you know what time it is? Uh, I must be that happy time again. Yep, it's time to admit I'm not feeling very funny today. <laughs> In fact, I'm feeling entirely too serious. Seth, tell us a joke. Something about wrapping your privates in service fabric or something like that. I don't know. Wrapping your 
Fabric and service private. private. What? I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, great. For everyone else, there's NativeScript, a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have, JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and XAML-like XML markup. Start building your dream native mobile apps today. Use the NativeScript CLI for free or use NativeScript in Visual Studio with a Telerik platform subscription which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Get started for free at Telerik.com slash NativeScript. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. And they did a big hackathon last yes, night. on NativeScript. packed to the wall. Wow. You know, they're right. We all have this problem of we need to build for all these phones. Yeah. And uh, we'd rather not have separate tools for each one. Yeah. So I'm right. really excited about what they're doing there. It's, it's very cool. It's really uh, mind-blowing. But let's get back to the giveaway. Buddy. Yeah. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is missing. Wait. Nope. Right oh, you looking for your clappers? <laughs> you brought your clappers. <laughs> You're looking all excited like, what did I lose? You lost your clappers. <laughs> Today's winner is Thomas Hazel. Oh, very nice. Congratulations, yeah. Thomas. Golf clap for you, sir. I've forgotten how obnoxious those clappers are. Oh, my are. God. Those they things need obnoxious. to die, don't they? <laughs> You've had those for years. Oh, man. And Thomas just won a Telerik DevCraft collection. It's a big pile of awesome from them. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com. Click on the big Get Free Stuff button. Yes, we still have a Get Free Stuff yes, button on our Yes, it's red now yeah. <laughs> on the new website. And uh, answer a few questions and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree. And that is coming up. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. But you got to sign up for the fan club to win. And uh, we also like to ask our guests, Jason, if you had $5,000 right now to spend on technology, what would you buy? Oh man, Surface Book three or four oh. of them. Ah, uh, Surface Book. I, I have Everybody's one. On, nodding. I, no, I have one on order. I think the uh, you know the big issue is employees have to yeah, wait. You guys so. have to wait. <laughs> I ordered that so fast. I had already completed my order before I found out you could take the screen off. Yeah. As soon as I saw <laughs> that machine, I've been waiting for a while. As soon as I saw that, there's the machine I want, and I just started typing. Yeah, and then they pulled the screen up. And they pulled the screen up. I wanted even more. I have a feature I didn't expect. There's been some discrepancy about the about the speed of it, though. Like you know how fast somebody came out and said it was twice as fast as a MacBook Pro, and then three times as fast, and now it's not even as fast yes, as a MacBook yeah. Pro. Well, that's what are what, they talking about? That's what controversy is all about. Yeah, yes. I love. I have, I have obviously a Surface Pro three. The pen is just freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, One Note and making notes and everything else it just mm. changed the way I kind of do meetings and everything else. But I, I miss the kind of clamshell shape yeah and so i really like the the form factor i'm being able to sit on an airplane and feel like i'm using a regular laptop but then when i'm in meetings folded under get my yeah. pen be able or to mark things off. up yeah, yeah pop it off if i want to go you know watch movies do whatever that kind of that yeah. kind of thing i think it's an awesome form factor it is and it, and uh and one of the very few times that microsoft has completely blindsided everybody mm. we all knew there was a new machine coming. we just yep. presumed it was a surface nobody expected this like that's rare yeah. that nobody saw this one coming. <laughs> Did you know? 
Uh, you know, I mean, you were VP. I saw, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a VP. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I saw some hardware prototypes oh, okay. earlier on. So you had a big smile. I kind of showed face. off a little bit of it, but you know, it's, it's, uh, but you know, but uh, honestly, that's usually prototype stage and that kind of stuff. So it, it gives you good vision. Uh, but it's always awesome to see what they pull off when they get the final product. Yeah. Mm. Now, I, that was one of the best Microsoft days I've seen in many years. Like just a day of making announcements, really surprising people, really excited. Yeah, I or I ordered immediately. Yeah, and it's, it's I've been on the road for weeks now. I know it's at home waiting for me. I'm gonna be able to bring it to the MVP summit and torture people with it. Awesome. So getting back to the Azure IoT suite, um, it's you. I think you said that you can either you know go down the rabbit holes yourself and do everything, build everything out on the on the lowest level you want, or you can just sort of you know press buttons and have a dashboard and let Azure make all the decisions for you. Is it really that magic? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, that's, I always want to be careful about describing stuff as magic, but I yeah. think that the way I would put it is if you think about what I'd have to do today, I'd have to go create a bunch of components and stitch yep. them together and go do all that kind of plumbing. I think to me, what we have been doing, even over the last 20 years with Visual Studio and .NET, is kind of taking some of these things, which you could always do, yeah. but we've kind of tried to democratize it. You know, Visual Basic and everything else is like, hey, how do I build Windows applications? You know, yeah. .NET's helping me write, you know, websites and those components and not worry about, you know, bit spray pointers and C sharp and C++ yeah. and those sort of things. If I think about IoT, there's a lot of similar, you know, kind of concept here. So if you think about the canonical pattern, I want to do device management, I want to have security, mm -hmm. I'm going to get, you know, data and messages off of that. I have the hot, you know, warm and cold path, you know, analytics that I want to go run. Mm -hmm. So we basically have built all those things out. That is what Azure IoT Suite is. And if I combine it with the machine learning components, then we're also building out like default predictive analytics on top of the same data. So if it, you know, literally we can sit down in like 15 minutes. I can get you hooked up, provisioned, and now you get devices and data coming through and you're starting to get analysis out of it. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to spending 15 minutes, you know, reading tons of stuff and maybe I've got, you know, a third of it done. And that little, you know, hello world program, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, hello devices maybe, um, that can get as big as you can throw data at it. No, absolutely. Infinitely scalable, would you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, you know, you can handle billions of devices and trillions of messages going through. I mean, yeah. that, that is kind of the promise, especially of the cloud. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're doing it through scale out, you know, technology and right. all that kind of stuff. Right. And so, and again, I want to be careful with the magic stuff because yeah, it's, well, it's the, it seems like magic to me. That's why yeah, I use that word. It's, it, it, I mean, because what, what you do next is it's kind of like writing a website. I can get you up and running with the website very quickly, and then you start jumping in to add your logic. Right. Uh, presumably, whatever device I hooked up has its own specific data. Now I can go, you know, augment the schemas and start passing. And that data through, right? I can, you know, then go through and start writing all my kind of, uh, you know, stream analytics queries and, and those sort of things. Like those are the things you now start to customize and add. Mm. But again, the key thing is I'm not having to stitch all this stuff together from scratch. I can right. just go into the portal. I want this people going in. I want to run this query. When it exceeds this value, fire an alert, send it over here. Done. So I'm sure you know, Jason, because you've been in, in this business so long that, um, you know, we love these solutions and they look or great but a lot of us have old pain and you know you you probably spend a lot of time trying to convince people that they're not going to hit a brick wall yeah you know <laughs> and how do you do that i mean because yeah. you must that must be the primary stopper you know someone just says well this all looks good in hello, hello world land but you know when i actually get in there something's gonna my happen. problem yeah something's gonna happen and i will have to scrap the whole thing how do you how do you 
how do you allay those fears? Yeah, I mean, I, here's the thing. I think there's a lot of, uh, well, first of all, what's my motivation? I think there's there's tons of business transformation that's happening right now, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? Whole industries are getting disrupted. And so to me, usually from a business side, I am trying to solve a concrete problem, mm. right? If I've been manufacturing something for 100 years, I've probably hit the asymptotic curve on what I can get out of process, out yep. of materials, out of mm-hmm. those sort of things. I'm going to be looking at software to go help me with that. This is now the place where competitive advantage lives yes i mean this right. is the whole you know andreessen's you know software's eating the world it's starting right. to actually happen if you mm-hmm. if you think about those things like i have a business motivation to actually go down some of these paths now a lot of the folks that we work with like tech isvs that have existing solutions they've actually been in the space they've built products mm-hmm. uh the thing they're finding exciting about what we've built and why many of them are starting to replat on top of it is that we've handled the scale piece Right. So if they had a solution that did a hundred thousand items, what if I want 10 million? Right. Right. And it turns out those orders of magnitude actually required new changes. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we've built that in, like, you know, for example, mm-hmm. we handle petabytes worth of log file daily, uh, for, for Azure and for Office and Bing and other sure. sort of components. That's why we created Azure Data Lake, right? It's mm-hmm. why we yeah. did, you know, all the big data components that, you know, this, the uSQL and those sort of components. So you just can't take that in that much data and think you're going to transform it, ETL it all. Yes. Into some other form. Leave it as it is. Use it as you need to. Correct. Exactly. And so that's why, and this is why the stick everything in relational is like, no, that'll kill you. Cost is bad. Throughput's bad. Everything else. So we've invented the other systems to go help with that. You know, and again, you can try and stitch it all together, but I think we've got a really awesome end to end value prop for that. Uh, On your kind of, the other angle on this one is the kind of brownfield stuff. Like I've already got some stuff out there. What do I do with it? Uh, It's important to note, we've also made this uh, very pluggable. Right. And so all the components we put in for suite, you can actually go in and replace all of them. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to have been using Kafka for, you know, event and ingestion, you can do that. If you're running your own Hadoop cluster, awesome. Knock yourself out. Right. If you want, if you want, or yeah. you want Spark or whatever. Yeah. You can absolutely go do that. So mm-hmm. this isn't like some extremely closed system right. either. And we're finding that in cases where people have done some work already, that's actually quite helpful because I don't have to go in and replace everything that I've done. Right. But for example, you may have been grabbing some data and doing alarming and alerting. But you have no machine learning, yeah. right. right? And that's a case where being able to use Azure ML and suck that in, run the models. Now all of a sudden, I can add a new dimension I didn't have before, but I don't have to throw out what I already did. So, do you have to be a Seth Juarez in order to use the Azure machine learning? No offense, Seth. I mean, <laughs> that was I meant that as a compliment. Yeah, um, yeah. She says something nice about you, man. It's true. Uh, absolutely. She for staying in the recording room. <laughs> so, in other words, you know, there, there's a lot of people that just don't get that. And and how uh, yeah. are the are the models built in already? I they mean, are. Right, so, a couple different angles on this one. One, Azure machine learning for those that haven't used it yet. Um, you know. For one thing, we contributed like, you know, 500 R modules by default. Mm. Uh, the team did a great job creating a nice drag and drop web page. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of us that have gone all the way back to visual programming and everything else will look at that and go, wow, okay, this is actually really easy to use. Mm. Um, and so those concepts are quite easy. Um, and, you know, much better than I had to go get a stats degree and start from scratch. Yeah. Now, the other thing we have done, and this is actually part of Azure IoT Suite, we're actually creating a lot of pre-configured solutions. So like pr- mm. predictive maintenance is a great example, yeah. right? We actually have models that we've gone in and tested on certain types of data and we've actually had data scientists go build some of these and the Azure machine learning components they're really nice you can go to the gallery it's like oh that looks cool let me go branch a copy now boom I get my own copy and I can start you know tuning it and tweaking it it turns out for Azure IoT Suite we've built the same thing and we're building even more on top so I just press a button get it deployed and I have a default model Mm. now just like with the website that's a hello world kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then the next thing I'm going to do is add my own IP 
uh, take manufacturing, there's usually some guy, Gus. Gus knows everything about widgets that I have. <laughs> and he I does. Met that guy. I met you, that you know guy. this guy, right? right? Guy. I know. You know, he's been around for 30 years yeah. and he kind of looks sideways at a piece of equipment and go, you know, it's got a little bit of a, ro- yeah, that yeah. thing's going to go belly up in two weeks. Yeah, that's right. Why? He just puts Gus? his hand on it. And he you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I'm telling you, it's going to go belly up in two weeks. Yeah. And, and so, like the machine learning components, the, the, this is interesting. You, you go talk to Gus and you marry him up with the guy doing the model. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, Gus, why did that? You know, what, what is it about that? And then you start putting it into the model. All right. of a sudden, Gus's brain is actually in there looking worldwide across your whole fleet. Right. It's like, yeah. wow, it's pretty freaking awesome. So, right? And you said, so you just push a button. And, you know, every time I hear that, I say, okay, what? I got 10 million buttons. Which one do I push? <laughs> <laughs> you know? yes. well, it, but this is why, we, you know, for IoT Suite, what we did is, in effect, if you try out the, you know, the, the current stuff that's up and there's more coming, uh, you'll see much more of a gallery kind of thing where it's like, ah, I want to do remote monitoring and alerting. Yeah. Great. Just go click that tab. Um, and what we do in the background is we use some of the new technology, the Azure Resource Manager. We will actually go deploy and stitch together all the components that are required. We'll mm. actually give you a default portal. We'll give you sample applications with data and stuff coming through. Mm. You can actually, you know, force conditions. So it kind of gets like a test environment. Mm. Uh, I don't even have to hook up hardware to get that far along. Yeah. Right. And so that gets you that. Now, if you start adding like predictive maintenance and those sort of things, you know, kind of starts lighting up from there. So I can say Cortana, which uh, fartometer is going to fail next? You know, from a natural language query stuff, yeah, actually, I think you, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's people that have done hackathons for exactly this kind of stuff. <laughs> like, seriously, I, I've had people do IoT, you know, demos yeah. like that with voice activation. The SDKs are there, and, man. And w- combined with methane sensors, great. Absolutely. <laughs> That's where we're going to go. Oh, man. Yeah. But it, I, I do feel like when I'm advising like college students and things are talking about like, where's the opportunity space? It's in this machine learning space. We, yeah. We're collecting so much data and I don't think we're coming anywhere near using it well. No, not even close. And I, I think the next, I mean, if you look at a lot of what we've done so far, it's, you know, MapReduce and, you know, kind of stream analytics and those mm-hmm. things. Those are great bread and butter. I think the current machine learning generation that we've got out is, you know, allowing you to get even better insights off of that. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of uh, use some of the statistical modeling and some of the stuff that, you know, has been kind of constrained in certain disciplines for a long time. Uh, what's coming up after that, of course, is even uh, further along with deep learning, right. uh, where we start doing much more experimentation around thinking, you know, like, uh, let me actually teach a computer to figure stuff out. Right. Uh, and you're seeing lots of vendors. We're doing this. Google's doing this. A bunch of other folks, right, where I analyze a bunch of pictures. I figure out who you are. I figure out what they are. Uh, in fact, there's a really cool project that we've hooked up into machine uh, learning as well. Um, it's in ML right now. Uh, for example, the shape recognition and other things, uh, facial recognition is built in. Mm-hmm. And so I can, mm-hmm. for example, take a picture. Uh, and if it's a picture of me, it's like, okay, you're, you know, if I like, you know, this is kind of like the shopping, you know, sort of examples. I walk into a store and it's like, oh, okay, uh, here's the hardware aisle over here. You might be interested in this. And mm-hmm. so I not only know gender, but I also know age. Right. And so we've done some cool demos mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, like on a shopping site, it'll give you men's clothing or women's clothing. If you put a man and a woman and a child, it'll show you swing sets. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so like, if you think of those things, that's actually getting into the next you know kind of generation of you know machine learning or logic off of these things pixel recognition and that kind of stuff Mm. uh you start combining all these things together and man there's just you know no end to scenarios well we're always trying to understand more about the listener through how they contact the website and things like that like Mm -hmm. i still feel that we don't really do as much with our logs as we could right and what we know about how people are yeah, accessing us. Yeah, and recommendation engines and that kind of stuff. Again, just you know, are this at this point, you know, kind of built in, and you can get it pretty mm. straightforward. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> Seth is really smiling and nodding his head here. He's loving this. He's feeling very positive about everything like, that's going oh, on yeah, here. That's right. <laughs> sweet, baby. This is what it's all about. Uh, there was one fellow as we were leaving, and his big question was, how, you know, we're all on-prem. We've been pretty happy. You're seeing good things. Like, how do you get started in this? Because it's intimidating. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so much surface area. But, mm-hmm. you know, what I what I generally tell people to get started, especially if they haven't done any public cloud, I just want to get some experience. Mm-hmm. You know, frankly, just, you know, a, a lot of the folks especially here at the conference, they're web developers. They yeah. know ASP.NET very, very well. Um, you know, the best way to get started is go up and run through the hands-on tutorials. Go mm-hmm. create a website uh, up on the site and actually, you know, use the skills you already have. I like can use VS and all the rest mm-hmm. of that uh, and go build the app. Uh, for folks that already have existing apps and they're trying to figure out, well, how can I leverage the cloud? You know, my CIO or my 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 chief security officer, they're not too hot on me actually moving any real data up there yet. I don't yeah. know what that is. It's like, well, then look for the dev test scenario. Right. And that's a great case where I can go up and do dev and test. I don't have to move any confidential data in the public cloud, mm-hmm. but I can start using dev tests. Uh, it's really easy to get an environment spun up, you know, try out new features and you can turn around and use the source control that you've got and then go do your regular build and publishing process on premises. Uh, great way to get started. But it's certainly I've had the experience of using the, my best example of the cloud for developers is We've got three hours worth of web testing here, right? When we do it on-prem, our usual set of tests, it takes three hours. Watch this cloud setup, and I'm just going to light up more instances, and it's done in 10 minutes. We just split the tests up into smaller pieces, spread them across more instances, ran them simultaneously, and then turn it all off. Mm. Yep, that's right. So it and costs only, you X many dollars, and it literally it's in the tens of dollars when you're running for 10 minutes. Yeah, mm. it's pretty amazing, yeah. actually. And then you sh- they went away. It's like you would never do this with your own hardware. It's insane. But when you can borrow somebody else's for 15 minutes for a price, yeah. you could do a lot for really yeah. speeding that up. You, in your keynote, you talked about some partners that are doing interesting things. Do you want to mention any of that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think there's a, there's a bunch of folks that are actually, uh, you know, doing a lot of work that we, you mentioned with, uh, with IoT. We have a, a combination of customers and other sort of things as well. Um, but, you know, if, if I think about some of the ones that we've got, um, you know, I've got like, uh, Rockwell, you know, Johnson Controls, you know, mm-hmm. OSI Soft and those things. This is just in the IT space, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, we're doing all sorts of, of new environments. Uh, Thyssen Krupp, uh, has been a really great customer and one of the pioneering customers we've had. Uh, there's the guys who do the elevator. They announced, uh, right. elevator systems they're the number one elevator um, you know kind of maintainer and manufacturer in the world uh, and they basically announced a new product called max on Monday hmm. uh, and it uses Azure and it instruments their cars and they wow. estimate they'll save you cloud know, powered elevators thousands. cloud po- well think about how many times you've been in a big high-rise at a big city uh, waiting down at the elevator bay trying to get yeah. up right and if you could schedule and move that through faster and then think about what happens if one of those cars goes out of service right. at an inopportune time makes it even worse so yeah uh, elevators at pop studios are still waiting for a call button so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have scary elevators well yeah. one of them is just not working at yeah, all right. but the other one is vintage is the nicest I thing i, could I don't say. think we'll be getting any cloud, yeah, up we there. cloud over there. <laughs> anytime soon but you know, it's one of those subtle problems, actually positioning elevators well. When yeah. you think about a tall stack and lots of elevators and things like that, I've, I've gotten into some of the math around that. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, in the morning, we want more elevators low and, and how many is allowed aboard and how far that is go. Like that's, just, it's really right. kind of interesting science. No, no, it absolutely is. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's actually scheduling algorithms, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's the predictive maintenance, you know, portion of the, yeah. of the problem too. Keeping the thing running well and getting it in the right place at the right time so that people get where they need to go. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You wouldn't think yeah. about elevators in the cloud, but that's clear. Yeah. 
yeah. a good example. You know, connected cars, another one too. You know, Ford, Toyota, you know, other environments that are, that are on the platform where that we're doing all sorts of work. That seems to be the big IoT thing. Yeah. Like just yeah. I it's the one the that's car. probably most visible and recognizable sure. to people is, you know, my car gets better, the maintenance gets better, I get, mm-hmm. you know, better entertainment in my, you know, vehicle, all these sorts of things, you know, it starts to light things up. And but, VWs get better gas mileage. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different type of software. Diesel, yeah, yeah, diesel so. mileage. <laughs> software used for evil, I think, is where we're going to go on that one. Oh, man. S-U-E, Sue? Yeah, Software used for evil? Hey, I suspect we can all envision the chain of errors that got them to that point. That was an interesting How did that software get written in the first place? Yeah. It's really very interesting. I... And I don't even just talk about the hardware perspective from there, but I'm certainly working with some customers now where their goal is you had a problem with our software and before you can call and complain, we're calling you. Mm. Yeah. Hey, no, absolutely. we saw you had a bad experience with our software. Can we help? That's right. Yeah. And we're doing a bunch of that in Azure as well. Some of the health checks and the other stuff are, mm-hmm. are designed to help be proactive, actually. Um, and so, cause we, we can, you know, we have monitoring everywhere on everything. And so if we start to see, you know, issues that are there, how can we help people proactively? Sure. Uh, even if it's just, uh, hey, I, I see you're scaling up and trying some new stuff. Can I help you out? Can yeah. I give you a pointer? You know, did you run into any problems? It's really interesting. You know, that kind of stuff. We yeah. really haven't talked at all about security. And so with nine minutes left, maybe we should do that a little bit. Um, uh, is the IoT suite assuming that uh, uh, Clemens Vaster's principle of every device is a client only? Or does it assume nothing? So, you know, well, a couple of things. One, we want to make sure that we're completely open to all devices and all ecosystems. Yeah. And so from that perspective, uh, you know, what we're doing is, is primarily the cloud plumbing and, you know, uh, all those components that are there. Uh, we have device SDKs, the field gateway SDKs and those sort of things as well that people can kind of go use for that. So if somebody's already got, you know, a security system and those sort of components in place, yeah. awesome. You know, that, that's great. No problem. We'll figure out how to uh, connect the systems, you know, with but no loss But is there a guidance or a uh, preferred method to to making your IoT project secure? Yeah, I, I do think that then you need to start looking at, and, and Clemens has actually got some great blogs on this, right? Yeah. I mean, the you know, well, I put a VNet around a bunch of stuff. It's like, well, you know, but if anybody gets in, you might have a particular problem. So being yeah. able to lock down uh, individual keys, understand what firmware yeah. looks like on each one. Is it patched and up to date? Uh, you know, should I ring fence it and trust it anymore? If I, if, if I can't, if it's been compromised, you know, all of those sorts of things. And mm-hmm. when you think about it, a lot of the things that we have, um, they're going to be out in the wild. Wild, right. There's going to be stuff mounted to uh, telephone poles and, you know, just kind of sitting out in the open. Mm-hmm. Um, in that perspective, you got to make sure you design for security under those sort of circumstances yeah. uh, and make sure that people can't get in there wrong. Right. There's no simple answers. Is no, there? there aren't yeah. any simple no. answers. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, you know, especially talking about automotive, there's been some great stories about just how vulnerable things actually are. Yeah. Yes. And that comes down to just RFID vulnerability, mm-hmm. you know, that we have in our fobs, keys and fobs. And I think about like the Wired article about the Jeep Grand Cherokee and just, that was a very complicated exploit, but it speaks to, if you don't have a coherent plan around what connectivity actually means, you can get in some really bad situations. Yeah, I I think this is a lesson we keep going back to as an industry, which is security is not a bolt-on. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. It doesn't come later. It, it, it's not, it doesn't come later. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be part of your design from day one. Mm-hmm. You got to, you know, kind of do it the entire way through. 
and uh, the whole pipeline's got to be secure. So this is a place where you know we're we're you know working in the industry, and I expect that uh, you know we'll have kind of uh, you know a coalition of even competitors because it's just it's just too important I think for the industry that uh, that that we you know kind of try and make this vendor specific. I think it's super important that we figure out how to get you know proper security across all these environments and make mm-hmm. sure they play well. And the heat does seem to be on. I mean, we've done a few yep. shows with uh, Troy Hunt and some others. They're just saying like hacks are happening every day now. Because we're just not fixing things. Yeah, like we we we're we're all in danger essentially. And just to you know to to bring back that story for a, a great a great example of how Azure auto scaling just saves the day when when that uh, uh, Ashley Madison site story right. broke. Troy. Troy Troy had a blog post mm. and his blog went you know through the roof mega viral. Like, <laughs> mega mega viral and he just turned the knob on azure zero outage yep. like yeah. you you actually need that case study i think Jason. and he yeah, said his, like, his, it was yeah. good news and he said his uh, resources just stayed flat yeah. the same yeah. the whole time and then when it was done he just turned it down and it would cost him like a hundred bucks yeah yeah it's awesome yeah, yeah. And, we, and we've got other great examples like rio 2016 for the olympics is coming up and yeah azure you know of course in brazil uh, we're running on that. I mean, that's a great example. You, you have, you know, 100, 200 million people hitting yep. resources for a short period of time. Yeah. Mm. You know, being able to just crank it up and only pay for what you use for, have it go back down. Are you actually going to host sense. it out of the Brazil data center? Because you guys have one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, no, we've got that. I mean, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what the, the architecture needs to get finalized. Yeah, it's going to have to be distributed and stuff. It's got to, you know, get out As to a guy the edge. And, way too much about undersea cable maps. There's just not that much connectivity yes. down in South America. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't, I'm not happy that that stuff's in my head, but it is. And yes. It's it's, it's not a not very big away. piece of wire. The yeah. America's two wire goes all the way down to to San Paulo, but yep. it is the end of that wire. No, and those those <laughs> cables are yeah. billion dollar, you know, oh, yeah. uh, basically efforts to go lay new ones. So we're not, not going to get more, a new one done in time for 2016. Yeah. Well, you've got a plane to catch. I do. Yes. So. I think so much fun to talk to you, sir. I'm really glad to spend some time with you. No, I appreciate the time, guys. I really appreciate for uh, having me at the conference as well. So yeah, we great, appreciate great. Uh, everything that you guys are doing. It's amazing. Yeah, thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on Dot Headlines. Dot Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.